Now we will get started. Uh, I'm going to start with a prayer. I'll, I'll be doing the devotional today, so so uh, I'll so let us pray, and then I'll do a couple of housekeeping things. So, dear God, we do give you thanks for the energy in the room and for uh, always the ability to study the New Testament, or particularly with just um, those aspects of John's words and thoughts and. Um, and discourses that are so beautiful and uplifting. May we translate that into beauty into our world. In the name of Christ, amen. So I want to do a couple of things. First is, is there anybody that is going to stay tonight for the program at 7 and eat pizza? Amy's going to do a pizza order. Does anybody need pizza? Okay, that's fine. She's ordering it. She's ordering it, but... Well, this is this is a program at seven o'clock in here for on safety issues, violence issues in our society. So it's been in the bulletin and announced and all that. But it's it's going to be at seven in here. Terry, you're over at that table. So, but anyway, any y'all are welcome to stay. It starts at seven, but but uh, and they're getting pizza. She just didn't know how much. So thank you. That's number one. Uh, we're going to, in a second, do the get back on the table introductions, and I'm going to do it with that table, which is now a combined table. You all have not gone yet this year, have you? Okay, and I, and I think Catherine's hasn't. So we're going to do, everybody else has introduced themselves, right? I just want to, you all haven't? Oh. Yeah, y'all did. You were just gone. So, okay. Um I want to say a little bit about uh, pastoral care things. Let's let's have Kurt make his thanks. Where's Curtis? Kurt, there he is. He wants to say thank you. I just wanted to say thanks to everybody who helped me with the cooking. Those guys were for me to get in there with the Holy Spirit right behind me to get to touch their soul, plant that mustard seed. And I can't. I, that, that, that's true love in those cookies, and they know it. They truly know it. So thank you for that. Thank you for the love and care and time you put into that for me. Thank you. Thank you, Kurt. Um, I want to do a couple of introductions. First, Keith Shackelford at the back table is new to this. This is his first day. I thought I would put him at that table. He has recently joined the church. He is an early service person. Uh, so a lot of you don't know him, but he's very faithful at that. Um, recently widowed and is diving right into the life of Westminster. So welcome and thank you. Uh, Ned and Lizzie got married two weekends ago, so congratulations to you all. Ned and Liz, excuse me. So welcome back. And uh, they, this this table's taken care of them and, and done a, done a lot of things. We also uh, I'm not sure. Meredith Mathis is a, is a person at that table, kind of redhead. What is she lost her her mother suddenly, um, not Saturday but a week ago Saturday in South Carolina. So she's not back yet. They have have reached out to her and sent flowers, but uh, her father has long been dead. She's an only child, and we we all will be good support for her. So let's keep her in our prayers. Um, I wanted to say one more thing about about what's upcoming just just for the next four weeks. 
We're going to do the second half of the Gospel of John today, as you know, and that will be, uh, that's the last homework reading you have on the Gospels. And then next week, um, there'll be a, there's a handout, uh, but you don't have homework reading, so you can catch up if you haven't, you know, if you need time to do that. But what I try to do next week, always at this point in the class, is just to do a presentation that tries to bring together Jesus as Messiah, to, to talk about the wholeness of, of him and kind of what we've gleaned from the four Gospels, rather than the having brought it, you know, we've kind of broken it down into these four different portraits of him. But that'll be a discussion and presentation and a handout, but there's nothing you need to do to read ahead of time for that uh, other than catch up. And then after that, on the 17th and the 24th, we meet and we do the book of Acts, which is Luke's second volume, and it's really the it's really the spread of Christianity into the Greco-Roman world after the death and resurrection of Christ, because Luke, Luke begins with the gift of the Spirit, um, the ascension of the gift of the Spirit, and it's it's really first the church under the leadership of Peter, and then it sort of switches to Paul, particularly as they go into the Greco-Roman world and make them. A fundamental decision, uh, assisted by a couple of significant dreams and visions that Peter and Paul have, that uh, that they're not just a Jewish sect; that it is that is truly a a, a faith for uh, a universal faith, which is very important. And then you get your very long Christmas break, where everybody goes to Fort Lauderdale or you know wherever you want to go, <laughs> in the in the in the winter because you don't we don't come back then until January 12th it's a good break uh, it's a good break and it, it's a good place to break because when we come back we start then with the letters of Paul which occupy the bulk of, of next spring and uh, it's an entirely different kind of literature and I'll talk about that you know when, when we get there uh, we do have uh, there are these two Sundays in February that, that we will miss because of this trip to Israel that some of us are going on. And then we will not meet Easter Sunday, but I think we, I think we meet twice after Easter and, and then we're done. So, uh, so we're making really good progress. Um, so for today, okay, let's do, let's have that table introduce yourselves, okay? And just however you want. I don't care what you say. Just something, well, okay. So I must not have been there. No, I don't think, well, no. I, I didn't but, think any of the pastors were watching this happen because I was sort of wondering who was See, because we see over you. I mean, you can do any number of uncivil things on the front row and we don't know about it. <laughs> right? I mean, yeah. Right. I know. It, it's, we sort of have to make an effort to look, you know, to look down. It's not that we don't, but, you know. But my favorite story about your daughter, which you know, you you told me, and I love this. Yeah, so you can you say it better than me. Another good one. My youngest, we live across the street, and so we're one of the sort of like 20 or 30 people who show up here when there's a blizzard. And I was here one morning, and my younger daughter was like four, and so she'd never sat through a church service before. She would always be in the preschool wing, and so she came, and we're all there in our snow gear, and she's kind of got her head in my lap. And at one point in the middle of Larry's sermon, she sat up and looked right at me, and in my face, and said. Very long 
thought I thought then she just like plopped over and went back to sleep. <laughs> That's great. Mary Ann now. Yeah. Fall down and worship. ago in this church we actually had we actually announced a death before it happened because there was a a family it was it was an older man who was by himself and the kids lived somewhere else and you know they I don't know they were rushing him into the grave or just wanted to take care of all the details and called and you know said that he was dying and we sort of put it out because he did have some friends and he died I don't know, 12 hours later or something, so it wasn't too bad. But it, it, these things happen. So, so, and I can't help but add, I'm, I'm taking more time, but with all these choir stories, my, uh, you know, one of my uh, things that has marked my ministry, which is a ministry that has always been blessed by having good musicians, but never being one at all myself. I mean, I, I had, uh, I think, one day of piano lessons. And uh, my brother and I, we, as a, when I was a child, we went to Second Presbyterian in Memphis, which was very, very large. And uh, we did go to children's choir and sat on the back row. And uh, I can remember we just got tickled, you know, how I was a kid. You know, and then you're not supposed to laugh. So you're just, I mean, we're just sitting back on the back row like that for some period of time. And I think, you know, when you're when you're six or seven years old, everybody seems ancient. But all I can remember is the is the woman that directed the choir seemed really ancient and I only remember this sort of long bony finger coming <laughs> after us and tapping us on the shoulder and doing what Davy Martinez got in the sixth game of the World Series. So I've never been back to choir since. It scarred me forever. But that's why I depend on good choirs because uh, Yeah, thank you. So all right. Well let's get to John. This is this is great. So speaking of goodbyes, Marianne. Uh, 
The, I'm going to cover two topics today because one we actually did last week on, on Judaism, and I want to do my best to get through these and then ask, uh, give you all the chance, three topics, and then you all the chance to, to really talk about what will be the first, I guess. But um, the second half of John is, um, is honestly almost all farewell and promise. Um, in, in 1250, if you'll, you'll look at, at 1250, this is a structural thing in the gospel that, that is interesting. I'm not sure it's resolved, but at 1250, um, there's this summary of Jesus' teaching. Jesus cried aloud, whoever believes in me, I'm at 1244, believes not in me, but in him who sent me. Whoever sees me sees him who sent me. I have come as light into the world so that everyone who believes in me should not remain in darkness. And he goes, and this really is a summary of what he is teaching. I do not judge anyone who hears my words and does not keep them. For I came not to judge the world, but save the world. The one who rejects me and does not receive my word has a judge. On the last day, the word that I have spoken will serve as a judge. For I have not spoken on my own, but the Father who sent me has himself given me a commandment about what to say and to speak. And I know that his commandment is eternal life. What I speak, therefore I speak, just as the Father had told me. And then Jesus washes um, the disciples' feet. Um, and then at the then in chapters 14 to 17 I mean this it's like chapter 13 is a summary of his teaching but then in 14 to 17 you have these farewell discourses in which he Jesus almost all of the action is Jesus speaking and so the, the foot washing occurs in 13, and then in 14, 15, 16, and 17 is Jesus teaching his farewell discourses. And then in 18, it picks up with the betrayal and arrest. So it's like you have this insertion of, of material that is pretty famous and pretty beloved in, in the life of the church. But it really is Jesus preparing his most immediate followers, his disciples, for what comes after his death. Um, and, and what I'm following here is Fred Craddock, who's, who's one of the teachers that I had that, that, that's really terrific. Um, but Craddock says that, that the writer seems to be giving it, that, that what this material is about is the is the absence of Jesus, and and that is what John's community was wrestling with, because if you'll remember, it's it's the last gospel that was written, and it was written the earliest date that that's given for the writing of John is ninety, um, the year ninety, and the latest is as late as as one twenty, and and if Jesus died, you know, approximately the year thirty or thirty five. It's just a longer period of time has elapsed between his death uh, and resurrection and his expected return. And so part of what the church is dealing with, the, the hearers of Jesus are dealing with, is, um, is his absence. Uh, what are they to do? Uh, who's in charge? What is the church to do after Easter? 
And and the bigger question in John is, uh, it's not so much you know that he's betrayed us, or we really expect him to return, and and he's he's not back. It is the thing that that John seems to be wrestling with as an author in presenting us with Jesus is the question of can the church live on the memory of those who lived with him and heard his teaching directly and and essentially the way John is going to answer that is that it is through the power of testimony that that people come to faith and that people are blessed not so much who see as who don't see which is a line that that will come later after after the gospel of thomas and it's almost like john is i mean like john the writer in presenting in presenting jesus is is saying to the church you will be fine once he's gone i mean because he's gone you will be fine and the reason you will be fine is because you will have the Holy Spirit, which is is the Paraclete, and and so there's just a lot of time spent on comforting the church, strengthening the church, giving the church confidence to carry on, and reminding the church. And by church, I mean the early the early apostles, the people who were left uh, after Jesus' death, but giving them the confidence to carry on with their witness and testimony because that is the way that that Christ becomes known. In, you know, to, to future generations, to the current and future generations. Um, so part of what he is saying in, in, in all of this material, um, there at the bottom of page one, vital centers of meaning within this discourse. Uh, he is, you know, Jesus is saying, I have finished my work on earth and I'm returning to my Father and to the glory I had before coming to the world. And yet I will not leave you to fend for yourselves as orphans in the world. Uh, Craddock says that the weight of, of this farewell discourse by Jesus is on the promise to the church um, that the focus is on his presence with them rather than on his own glorification and return to the Father. Um, that that what he's really trying to do is strengthen and give strengthen the church and give it confidence. Um, so the central promise of this, the reason that 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 they and we can have confidence, is is that. Is Jesus promised that he and the Father will send the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Truth, or what is called the paraclete, P-A-R-A-C-L-E-T-E. That is the Greek word. And para means alongside of, and klesis, from which clate comes, means called. So the, the, the word paraclete literally means the one who is called alongside of. And... That is John's uh, word for the word in, in the Gospel of John for the Spirit. It is it is Christ literally, if, if the image called to stand beside us as we go into the future after the, resur- the resurrection, and you see that translated. Let's just let's look up some of these passages in in fourteen, sixteen, and seventeen. 
they may be familiar to you because they are often read in the church because they're so comforting. Uh, so in John fourteen sixteen, and this is Jesus speaking, I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate to be with you forever. Advocate is paraclete. It's, and and the name will change in these gospels. I mean, they'll they will, you know, there'll be different. It's comforter, it's advocate. There's different words that that are used for paraclete, but this one is advocate to be with you forever. This is the Spirit of Truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him because he abides with you, and he will be in you or among you. Is another translation, and just. Just a couple of comments about that. Um, the word "abide" in John is a is a loaded word, and I say loaded in the positive sense. There, the whole the old 19th century hymn that's so beautiful, "Abide with Me," is is from this. But uh, abiding in John, uh, I think, is also the word for remain, meno, or live in. It is it is a very personal connection between, uh, or, or it's a promise of a very personal connection between the this Paraclete, the Advocate, and and the early church. And if and if you look at that that last sentence where you know the K says uh, you know him because he abides with you and he will be in you. If you think about the difference between in and among. Uh, it's a very important difference, and, and the, the word can be translated either way. But a, a, a tendency in Western Christianity, and especially in American Christianity, is a preference for in because we are almost hardwired to think of our relationship with Christ as being individualistic. So it, it's much more common for you to hear or even relate to the promise that Christ will be in you. You know, if, if Christ is in my heart, if Christ is in my life, it's, it's a very individualistic uh, tendency in, in, our, in our preaching and teaching. But if you think of among, among is a group word. And what, what Jesus is really doing here is empowering the group. And, it's, and these, these two words are not mutually exclusive, but it's, it's, very, uh, it's very important for us, especially in our individualism, to hear the power of among, to hear the power of the promise of the Spirit to the church as a group. Because let's face it, sometimes, sometimes the church is is the recipient of, of God's spirit, and everybody's sort of united in it. But you're in a bad mood and ain't feeling it, so it's not dependent upon you. You know, it's it's the presence of the spirit is not dependent on how I feel when I get up in the morning. It's it's a promise to to the group to go forward. So it's just a powerful thing we often don't think of, and in in these chapters 14 and 17, uh, he really is empowering the church. There's a lot of amongness in the church. Is yes. Sure. Yeah. Gifts. Yeah. Yes. 
Yes. And it's really, I mean, I, it goes back to the, to the Old Testament where, you know, God called and created the people of Israel, the people of God. And it, and it doesn't, um, you know, I've, I've always said that, the, that the promise of God that marches through the Bible from the Old Testament all the way into the New Testament is, is going to be fulfilled and, and each individual question is whether I'm going to hang, hang my hook and be a part of that promise and go along with it or whether I'm going to let it pass me by. But it is going to be fulfilled. God is working his purpose out. Phil. I don't disagree with that at all, but I don't think it goes anywhere near far enough. Um, when I read these passages, what I see is a double nature of Think about a good Sunday here at Westminster. When you're in the congregation, you feel the spirit of God among all Mm -hmm. of us worshipers. And the the idea of amongness is clearly there. However, in one's relationship with God, sometimes that relationship is intensely personal. Yes. Yes. You have to have both. You're designed to have both. Yeah. And so if I want to talk about my relationship with God, it's not just me and God. Right. I thought it was for many years when I wasn't attending right. church. Right. Right. Um, you know, it it has to be the relationship with the church, with the people, mm-hmm. and not just me, but both. Right. Both and and usually when there's a really good Sunday at church, it can help the me and God, you know. But but th- but there are also sometimes when, um, you know, when things aren't going well in the church, and and the me and God still works and can help you contribute to the us and God. I mean, there are times when the individual is called to be a you know a voice in the wilderness. I mean, a lone voice. So it is both, I, and I don't want to imply that it's not. That's very good, Phil. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I know. I know. So I'm, I'm braced. Uh, so let's look at 14, 25, and 26 a little bit later. Um, I have said these things to you while I am still with you. Jesus is talking, preparing them for his absence. But the advocate, again, the paraclete, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you everything and remind you of all that I have said to you. Um, this is a, we use this verse at funerals a lot. It's actually the next one. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Neither let them be afraid. That's a very famous funeral passage. Better in the, in the King James than, than this way. But again, this is... I mean, what you see and hear of the advocate is that, one, the Father sends him in, in Christ's name. But the idea that he will teach you everything, which is a promise that the teaching ministry of the church and the learning ministry of the individual Christians and of the church never stops. I mean, it's not, you know, it's not a matter of memorizing what we've been told in the past. It's a constant learning into the future. Uh, and that 
the advocate. Uh, the second thing is there is a reminding effort of it. So it's it's almost like this relationship with the Spirit reminds us of what we have learned or known in the past. And, and if you think about uh, often when you're in a spiritually dry place, if you can go back and remember what it used to be like. It can be sad, but it can also be like, yeah, there, there is something there. You know, there is something there. And there's a learning in the future. So it, it's never, we're never, you know, just stopped in one place. But it's neat that in this one sentence, there's this promise of the Spirit reminding us of, of what we've known before and, uh, and pointing to what we can know in the future. Uh, it's sort of, uh, you know, you've lost that loving feeling. I mean, it's recovering that loving, loving feeling. I don't know the words to that song, but I know if I've heard it applied to this. And there's a really, there's another, uh, there's another uh, really, this African American scholar at Vanderbilt named Renita Weems. I've, I've quoted this to you all before in sermons, but, uh, but she has a, a quote that's always stuck with me is that we live between the last time God showed up and the next time God's going to show up. And, you know, the memory is the last time God shows up and the promise is the next time God's going to show up. Right. Do we have any indication in real time of from the time he is out of tune to when he reappears to the um, disciples? Well, the, oh, yeah, it's pretty much narrated like the next day or, I mean, in the other three Gospels. So it's, it's pretty soon. Yeah. Yeah. And then. I sometimes get this wrong, but Pentecost is 50 days, right, Mark? And so the gift of the Spirit is given on Pentecost. And so that's basically this period between resurrection and ascension. Okay, because he ascended into heaven and then the gift of the Spirit was given is 50 days. So he was here about a month and a half, you know, (laughs) before being ascended into heaven. And, uh, you know, we just... We're not Catholic and we're not even Lutheran and, you know, we're just barely above the Baptists. But, <laughs> which means that once Easter's here, you know, everybody goes and plants their flowers and plays golf. You know, spring's here, church is over. You know, we've done our six months. Let's go enjoy nature. It, it's really the ascension that's almost as important as the resurrection because uh, the resurrection is the victory. But the ascension is really the point at which he leaves us in the condition that we're in now, which is which is relying upon the spirit and the presence, because we don't even live in that that 50 day period. You know, we live after after the ascension and there is an ascension Sunday, but none of us are here for it because it's, you know, the master's tournament that day or something, you know, sort of that time of year or so. Um, my dad used to have on the marquee outside of Presbyterian Church, attend church now, avoid the Easter rush. <laughs> <laughs> right. right. That's good. That's good. So, 
<laughs> so let's look at 16, 7, 7 to 10 as well. That's the next page. Uh, 16, yeah, 7 through 10. Uh, yeah. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. I mean, it's a pretty bold promise for, for Jesus to make these now fearful disciples. For if I do not go away, the advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will prove the world wrong about sin. There it says, or he will convict the world of sin and righteousness and judgment. About sin, because they do not believe in me. About righteousness, because I'm going to the Father and you will see me no longer. And about judgment, because the ruler of this world has been contemned. Uh, so again, that's you know this presence of the Spirit is a dividing line, sort of between you know truth and error, um, etc. And then it, yes, I I had always heard maybe this was just to appease feminists that that the Holy Spirit was more of the female side, and yet they're saying he. Um, Yes and yes. It it often is equated with the female side, and that comes from Sophia in the in the book of Proverbs. I'm assuming that this is a literal translation here. Okay. So I, I've never seen it translated she in the in the New Testament, but but there's definitely a a tendency in that direction. Uh, and then picking up at verse 12, I mean. Uh, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth, for he will not speak on his own, but will speak whatever he hears, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me because he will take what is mine and declare to you all that the Father has is mine for this reason. I, for, for this reason, I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. There, um, One of the things that, that Craddock says in here that, that I think is good is there is not yet in the church's life the, the sort of formulaic uh, formulization of the Trinity. You don't have people standing up in worship and saying, I believe in God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, or you know, God the Father... Uh, in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But what this is, is the, it's the beginning of the formation of that category. And that category really did just grow out of the church's practice and thought and experience and worship life and then became the doctrine of the Trinity. And, and actually the doctrine of the Trinity, there's no place you can point to in the New Testament where it says this is the doctrine of the Trinity. It just is part of their expression and worship life, and then later theologians and and church leaders, you know, named it that and and turned it in into a formula. But that's what we're beginning to see here. Um, the the other thing that I want to point to on this section is down at the bottom, um, the bottom of page two. Does John regard the promise of the Spirit's coming to the church as the promise of Christ's own return? Um, I I think the answer to that is is that there is not in John's gospel like there 
like there are in some of the other gospels. Uh, this this sort of radical break of of the sense that that Jesus Christ is going to return. What there is in the gospel, and I alluded to last week, uh, is 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 the when the word life is used in John's gospel, which is the Greek word zoe, z-o-e. Um, it is in the best places in John 10, 10, I have come that you have life and have it abundantly. Life or eternal life in John is something that begins here and now, and it is given to the believer, it is given to the Christian, it is given to us here and now, and it continues after our death, so it's appropriate to call it eternal life. But it is less a radical break in John's gospel than it is in the other gospels. And so there's not, coupled with that, there's not as much a sense of, uh, of Jesus returning, you know, in, in a sort of time-bound way that, that makes a radical break. What there is, is, as Craddock says, is John places much more emphasis on the present reality of eternal life, the presence of the paraclete with us today than on eternal life as a hope for the future, even though this accent on the present has not removed that hope for the future. Um, and then he quotes 14, 18 through 23 about the mixture of present and future adds to the ambiguities of the writers identifying and not identifying Christ's coming with the Spirit's coming. And this this is just you know kind of a beautiful passage, especially at the beginning. Uh, Again, this is Jesus talking. I will not leave you orphaned. I am coming to you. In a little while, the world will no longer see me, but you will see me because I live. You also will live. On that day, you will know that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in, and I am in you. It is just a very relational sort of spiritual gospel. And you, you can almost see why why the really high church spiritual type of of traditions like the orthodox tradition and and forms of catholicism and, and and even episcopal are really really love this gospel because it's almost sort of one continuous um, being vaulted into heaven and and living in the spirit that it, that it's very hard in John to have these temporal breaks and and even the concept of of life beginning here um, and, and continuing in a more beautiful and transformed way after our death is more emphasis on continuity than there is on discontinuity. I, I often love, I mean, these passages, some of which I've just read, are among the most beautiful that are read at funerals. Peace I leave with you, my peace. You know, that's in, in my father's house are many mansions. I mean, all of that language in John is, is very, very common. Um, at least in in my day in the old days in funerals in the funeral books I mean I use those all the time and I really like uh, in in many situations uh, just emphasizing uh, e- eternal life as being something that begins here and now and then is continued in a more perfected form afterwards because it's really a way um, especially when you're when you're burying someone that you 
that you know was really a saint and really a fine person and had a deep faith and had very rich experiences um, of the church and of Christianity that they shared with others. It's a really great way to affirm that the richness they had here is not negated uh, but is but is perfected and that what they've had here uh, is to be celebrated but think of think of how comforting it is to think that what they have now is is even greater than that that it's that it is this continuation of life um, other times it's appropriate to you know to say, you know, there's a new heaven and a new earth, no more tears, no more crying, no more pain. The former things have passed away because some people's lives here are really marked by suffering and tragedy. And and those passages fit for that better. That that there is I mean there is a difference, but for, for some people, especially us good law abiding Presbyterians, it's all good here too. <laughs> so um Questions or reactions are about that. Um, yes, go ahead. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, even though this, yeah, isn't the Trinity developed yet? But it's sort of like in in John in John the Baptist. You know, John the Baptist is clear: I am not the one. I'm not worthy to reach down. He's the one. There, there is this sense of, of pointing to Christ because because what you have in the Gospel of John is Christ and God are linked. I mean, Christ is constantly saying, it's not me, I'm here to do the Father's will. And so he's sort of transferring that same thing to the Spirit, or the Spirit's bearing witness to that. So, well, why don't we take our break, and then I'll come back, and let's do about seven, ten minutes. We have two cookies today. World Peace Cookies by Dory Greenspan, because if everyone had one, there would be world peace. So go have one. <laughs> All right. All right. Okay, let's get back in here. Uh, I want to... Uh, I told my good friend Phil, he takes the New Testament too, that he was really quiet Sunday. I mean, the last New Testament class. And I worry about him when he's quiet, but he said he was holding up for, for this. So he and I will have an exchange here and I'll win and we can all minister to him. <laughs> It'll be a great banter. Um, what I want to talk about, I, I want to read chapter 14 verses 1 through 7 and really talk about about the issue of, of, well, you'll see what it is. We can label what we want to. But this this is one of the most common uh, verses at funerals, um, although I have to say I've, I have it in my mind in the King James, so I, which I read at funerals. So, But uh, uh, starting at 
Do not let your hearts be troubled. This is the beginning of Jesus' farewell discourse, which will go for four chapters. And he's talking to his disciples. Uh, Do not let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house there are many dwelling places, or many mansions is, is how that is in King James. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, so that where I am, there you may be also. And you know the way to the place where I am going. And then Thomas says to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? And then Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you know me, you will know my Father also. From now on, you do not know him, and you have seen him. You do know him, yes, and you have seen him because you've seen me. I'm sorry. <laughs> On this, I feel like my mic's, I don't know if it's going out or what, but anyway, um, what I wanted to talk about on this is, is it's an obviously beautiful verse, um, in, um, verse of comfort at funerals. And in our, in our funeral book, the last, the last line, if you, uh, or I am the way, the truth, and the life, no one comes to the Father except through me, is printed. But I also know, I know at times in funerals and that I and others often stop it before there, and partially, um, partially because you don't really want to open a theological debate at a funeral, but also out of respect to the secularity of funerals. I mean, most most people... Uh, have friends that are all kinds of faiths, and and I I want to get to many mansions, but 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 stop it at at that. But beyond that, it is it does raise the question, which is which is a live question for us, um, especially in in traditions or denominations where we um, where we appreciate sort of the human and humanistic aspect of religion and of faith and of our culture that wants to try to reach out and include uh, include everybody. Um, and and I, I was reading this section today that, that I have in the book, and I just want to go over it and then, then honestly have, have a few minutes to discuss it. Uh, I read this whole section, and then I was looking at where did that come from, and then I realized it was from a sermon that I gave. I was quoting myself, you know, which is <laughs> a really humble thing to do. I looked down, oh, that's a sermon I gave on May 14th, 2017. That's not even that long ago. Uh, but yeah. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> so glad everybody else remembered it too. <laughs> so, but anyway, um, I, I think just to, I, I think I will just summarize it. And, and this really comes from conversations I've had and, and with uh, Cynthia Campbell, who is a theologian and was president of McCormick for a long time and is a good friend of the Movable Feast. Um, what, what she is, is essentially saying that I have come, that, that it matches an aspect of my thought that I want to share with you all, but I also want to say on the front end that, that I may be stretching it too much or I may be, uh, may be wrong, and ultimately it's something each of us has to make up our minds about. But... Um, Cynthia's point is that 
that in the context of this passage, the disciples here are at um, at their worst in the sense of being at their most fearful. I mean, they have finally come to the realization that 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 their Messiah is going to die and that they will be left alone. And their fear of this is, what do we do? How do we live without you? And, you know, this is the opening paragraph in four chapters that Jesus gives on, you know, this is what you do or this is what will happen when I'm gone. And as you heard, you know, leading up to this, Part of Jesus' answer to, to Thomas, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? And what Jesus is doing is reassuring them and saying, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. Um, no one comes to God, the Father, except through me. If you know me, you will know my Father also. From now on, you do know him and you and have seen him because you've seen me, essentially, is what he's saying. And, you know, the, I think the point of this verse, even as, as theologically strong and, and clear or exclusive as that statement is, particularly the part, uh, no one comes to the Father except through me, is this is a relational conversation between Jesus and the disciples in which he is assuring them. Uh, it's, yeah, it's not a threat, nor is it a test of, of doctrine or faith right now. It is a word of assurance that because they have seen him, they have seen God, and they have therefore seen the way through God. And to preempt Phil, what, what uh, you know, what Cynthia's point is, and what what I've I have come to believe, or come to it matches what I want to believe anyway, is that uh, that that Jesus is in the context of that conversation. I'm, I'm kind of losing my train of thought now. Um, as I've said, saying to them that, that because they have seen him, they have seen God, and they may, they may take comfort that they do know the way. Um, what has happened in theology and in the church is that this is one of the verses that you can take out of that context and make into a, uh, you know, a one-sentence or two-sentence prescription for how one becomes Christian and uh, it can it can be a verse that is used to answer a question that is not on the table in this context the question being how do I become a Christian or you know must I uh, Accept Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior in order to be saved or in order to see God ultimately. Uh, I have 
long described myself as a wannabe or aspiring universalist in that I want to believe that at the end of the day, God, uh, God's love finds a way to include everyone. Um, I ultimately think that, that, that that decision rests with God, that identity rests with God, that it is a mystery beyond our will or beyond our understanding. And I may very well be wrong on that. Uh, and a use of this verse doctrinally, which is pulling it out of this context and using it doctrinally, would could be the right answer. Uh, it is more comforting for me to keep it in this context and uh, but acknowledge that it's that it's a place in the Bible that is difficult for the position that I want to have and that I as a, a sort of Calvinist who ultimately leaves these matters up to God. Uh, I'm comfortable leaving the matters up to God because I'm I'm not going to affect my salvation or I'm not going to affect anybody else's salvation. That will rest with God alone. So that's where I am on it. Phil, the floor is yours. <laughs> for T- ten seconds. <laughs> I'll be fair. <laughs> It'll be a good exchange for y'all to hear. So. say that it's not us getting to God, it's God coming to us. That, that the directional movement is from God to us. So uh, and, and I would I would say that God ultimately can use any means God wants to reach us in, including obviously his son which I believe is the means he's given us and the means we, we use. Uh, I just don't want to close the door on God you know, getting us another way. I'm not closing the door. Jesus closed it. So, right. so let's do five minutes and then we'll move on to other things. So I'll recognize. I, I'm going to go. Well, you, I saw your hand first. Yes. I'm just a little confused. Okay. What exactly were you saying? Oh. <laughs> 
tasking Phil. Oh, yeah. Are you disagreeing with what Larry Oh, yeah, yeah. I'm disagreeing with how Larry gets to where we both agree. I am saying that a belief in Jesus is required. Required, capitalized, underscored, in order to achieve salvation. Okay. Uh, I'm I'm not willing to say that, in the sense that I'm not willing to limit God to to save those who are able to believe in Jesus. I do think I do think that that whatever salvation happens happens through Christ. But I'm I'm not willing to cut those off who lived before that time, haven't heard of him, etc. So I'm gonna Robin. Chapter and verse on this, where somebody said you. There's another verse where it says you come to the Father through me, but it's it's more ambiguous about if you have to come to. Him. I feel like there's a. I feel like. Yeah. I feel like there's two. I feel like it's said twice in the gospel somewhere, and it, and and you have to reconcile the two. And one of them is very much like this one is very much like you come to the Father yeah. through me, and the other one's like yeah, you can come to the Father uh, through me. I'm not sure. But there, are, there are a lot of other verses that, that would support this. So I'm going to – I'll do Stephanie and then I'll do Kurt. Just No, I just think it's helpful to me. One of, the, one of the fascinating things about this class, Larry, which I just joined, is that I want to look at the Gospels as they look at each other, as they contrast with each other. And there's no such claim that we just heard in John, in Matthew, Mark, or Luke. Uh, in terms of the divinity, in terms of the clarity of what mm. is being said by John here. For example, the section in John where Jesus talks about pre-existing before the world existed, meaning you know, that, uh, yeah. that divinity concept in here. So it's a, to me, John is revolutionary in that regard. compared to Matthew, Mark, and Luke in that okay. particular respect. And I, I like the way you place that particular segment. Um, okay. All right, Curtis. more of a question. Are you saying that if you didn't have ever the opportunity to know Christ, that you may still have a path for salvation? It's very hard for me to think of God excluding those who didn't have that opportunity. Right. Right. In the whole Old Testament, Jewish, and all that. So, Nate. Issue that I have with the concept of the way is shut. So that's that concept by itself is an absolutist view of, of one faith, but also of God's omnipotence, His ability to to do whatever His will. Right. Just to say the way is shut, because what if God decides it's open? Yeah. And that. Gray is actually, as far as I know, exists nowhere in the Bible. It does, however, exist within Sunni Salafist ideology. And it leads to absolutism. And it leads to a very dangerous view of my way or the highway. Mm-hmm. Either you accept God the way I believe God is, or you're my enemy. Yeah. And so that, that, that phrasing, the way is shut, I've never seen it in any philosophical ever lead to any idea ever lead to anything good okay it always eventually led to someone getting hurt okay um, and I, I, I 
written in Greek. Yeah. Uh, I, I tell you, that is a serious thing. Now, I do believe universalism deserves a hearing. 
Yeah. Yeah. I think you really got to seriously look at that. That's why I say I. I may be wrong, and I'm an aspiring universalist. <laughs> Not a hundred. I, I wouldn't. Yeah. I, I'm for it, but I, I just got done with a book on the Nuremberg trial, but I got to tell you, if there's an Auschwitz, there's right, an hell. right. It's so. All right, Joanne. I'm going to do Joanne and Terry, and then we're going to stop. Okay. <laughs> Go to Dana, but we we got to stop sometime here. All right, Terry. foreknowledge, not necessarily predestination. And I just want to go on the record, not all Presbyterians, it's not a required doctrine of Presbyterians to believe in predestination. It's important to say that. I know you do. (laughs) Only from Phil. All right, you get the last word, and then then I'm going to make you all talk at your tables, okay? I just want to say that to me, um, I mean, Jesus always was, and I always think of Jesus as God, you know, here on earth. And so in my way of thinking that I always have believed that Jesus didn't come to start a new religion. Jesus kind of came to get us back on track and also that we would only believe if we could actually see something that would make sense to us. So to me, these sentences are really not about Jesus unless you think of Jesus as being God. But it's about God. And so that if you believe in God the way Christ believes yeah. or explains God, that's... You're seeing God. Jesus. Yeah, I think that's good. Okay. Now, you all got to talk to each other. And please be nice to each other. Please, yeah, please be nice to Phil. <laughs> that's why I see you all together. Phil's a great mind, and I always like having a punching bag. (laughs) 
And I like being a punching bag. <laughs> so, um, I want us to go back to the to the paraclete, and I'm going to read this and then ask you all to, to discuss and share at your tables, okay? Here's how Fred Craddock summarizes the work of the paraclete of the Holy Spirit as presented in John's farewell discourse. Christ asked the Father to send his to send to his church one to replace him, a helper, an advocate who will never leave, who will be with the church forever. This, yeah, this is page six, the very last question. The Spirit will teach the church, will guide it in the truth, will speak concerning what is yet to be. The Spirit will remind the church of what Jesus said. The Spirit will not witness to himself, but to Christ. He will not glorify himself, but only Christ. He will not speak on his own authority, but only what Christ gives him to speak. The Spirit, in addition to the ministry of the church, will convince and convict the world of its errors. Do any of these bullets describe an experience you have had of the Holy Spirit? In other words, have you ever sensed the presence of Christ in the world or in the church in a way that fits any one of the above? And if so, elaborate on that a bit. There's there's a lot of choices here, and I'm, I'm not really trying to get you to say, oh, I don't believe that, I don't believe that, I don't believe that, I don't believe that, I don't like that. What I'm trying to, to get you to say is there, in the Gospel of John, these are a lot of rich claims and assertions about the way the Spirit is present to the church and us today. And so what I'm asking you to do is look at those bullets, and are there any of them that you can relate to? And you may have to translate it into your own language or your own experience. I mean, it's sort of a sort of highfalutin language. But do you experience the presence of God, or have you in in any way that could fit one of these bullets? That's really what I'm I'm asking you to do. So you may need to think a little bit at your table before you start talking. And why don't we just why don't we take about a minute of absolute silence while you look over the list again, and then you can talk so for a minute I'll give you the signal hey folks um, thank you for a good discussion I really appreciate it I want to uh, I want to reemphasize that I think what the level of discussion and what we are talking about in here are really important and I appreciate you all sticking with it and participating and sharing and thinking and preparing and, and all that you do to make this a good experience. Uh, if you'd like to stay, this room at 7 will be used for the first of two panels we're having really on, on how communities are dealing with violence towards kids. So we've got a couple of experts coming in, so please feel free to stay. Uh, it's been a long day. We've got a lot going on in the church this weekend, but we'd love to have you. Um, I'm going to close with a prayer and then send everybody on their way. So, Dear God, we trust that you are the way, the truth, and the life. And we, as we have studied this person of Jesus at different places in faith, we see how he embodies what we believe and hope that you are. 
Help us to live according to that peacefulness and that truthfulness and that utter concern for others that he embodied. And as we entrust our lives and our world to you, we believe that you stand with us in the Spirit. Amen. See you next week, if not sooner. Yes.